Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Some of that a little bit, but we're going to be coming back to uh, uh, to Paul and 
his Corinthian defense narrative. And I've been teaching on this in uh, our Bible study at church, so we're going to talk about that, a little bit about that. But, you know, we're, re- we're asking the question. The question is this. Has the church become so, quote, unquote, wise that we gladly accept foolishness? And if you think of, I just made that question up, no, I'm drawing this from from Paul's question or Paul's statement in Second Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, I think it's at verse 19, 18, something where, somewhere in there, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Paul actually, you know, he he puts this statement out to the, the Corinthians and say, you know, y'all so, so wise, so big on yourself that you gladly accept foolishness. So that's that's the premise that we'll be arguing and, and discussing. So you're welcome to join us. But as always, we want to go to the Lord first in prayer and then uh, touch a couple of headlines and get into it. You know how we roll. You know how we roll. You know how we roll. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the day. This is a, truly a day that you've made. We bless you. We ask, oh God, that you be with us, stand by us, and allow our words of our mouth, meditation of our heart, be acceptable in your sight. We pray. Amen. All right, so um, a couple of headlines that uh, I thought was pretty interesting that I, I wanted to share. First, uh, if you have not heard about this or seen it on the news, uh, I'm I'm not sure if it's been broadcast on the secular news, but and Christian news is is making uh, headlines, and it's about the Sudanese woman, um, Doctor Miriam Ibrahim. Ibrahim, uh, I think that's correct. Either, anyway, Miriam Ibrahim, she's 27. She's a doctor, medical doctor in uh, North Sudan, and uh, she has been convicted of adultery and apostasy because she married a Christian man and had his child. I know it does not make sense to us here in the States, in the West, uh, but because northern Sudan is a Muslim country under Sharia law, uh, it is against the law to be a Christian, literally. It is against the law to be a Christian. So not only was she a Christian, not only did she marry a Christian, but she had his child. And the court, the Sudanese court, found her guilty of this, of, of adultery and apostasy and they sentenced her now listen to this the sentence that they gave her was a hundred lashings and death by hanging until she was dead this was to take place after two two months after her child was born and of course it has raised and it has garnered international attention from a lot of um Agencies uh, has captured the UN, it's UN's attention. It has captured a lot of uh, parachurch organizations' attention, and they have been lobbying the Sudanese government, uh, particularly uh, the judicial government branch, to uh, rescind the judgment. Now, here's the problem: uh, up until 2011, Sudan was one country. Sudan was north and south, and north was primarily uh, Muslim. And South was primarily Christian, and you know, there was war that had been raging for over you know, for decades. 
millions of lives were were lost in this war. Children were lost. Uh, young men. There's a, there's a documentary you need to see about uh, the lost boys of Sudan. Those those boys who were forced into military, and forced into the military at eight, nine, ten years old, and they're killing, forced to kill their own kind, you know, their children, their own age, just because they were not Muslim uh, radicals. And this was going on, and it didn't garner a lot of a lot of national attention, attention or international intervention for for some time. You know, this, this was happening during President Clinton and President Bush. They allowed, you know, they kind of looked the other way. Both of them, because they were focused on with with Clinton, he was focused over in uh, uh, the Belk, Balkans and you know Serbia and all that stuff because of Monica Lewinsky and he had that war. You know, you know about that. And of course, Bush, well, he was focused on <laughs> Saddam Hussein, Hussein, and uh, that didn't sound right, did it? <laughs> Saddam Hussein and the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War, and, you know, Osama Bin Laden and all that. So this thing of the Sudan that was happening was not a big thing until it was, uh, you know, it was finally brought to international attention. The U.N. Uh, stepped in and negotiated uh, the division of the country into north and south, and with the north retaining its Muslim, Islamic uh, traditions and law, and the South becoming predominantly Christian. And they are still warring in both. As a matter of fact, they're warring more in the South now than they are in the North. And these are Christians warring against Christians. So um, it is what it is. But uh, long story short, here's this woman, Dr. Uh, Dr. Ibrahim, who um, she's been found guilty of apostasy and... Uh, adultery. Uh, and here, here's the thing. She uh, was not. She she stated to to the court that she's never been a Muslim. Now, her father was a Muslim. Her mother was a Christian. Her her father deserted the family when she was six years old, and she was raised by her Christian mother. But according to Sharia law, according to to law. The child of a Muslim father is Muslim. So that's, I mean, that's the way it is. So uh, if the father is Muslim, the child is automatically a Muslim. Therefore, she was a Muslim even though she was raised by a Christian mother. Um, by her marrying a Christian, she committed the greatest, a great evil according to Sharia law. And they and the North of them, uh, if you go and you, you read the story, you find that they uh, they practice strict Sharia law, and that strict Sharia law is um, it, is not based on so you know any Western influence or any communist influence. Straight Quran is that what they're saying? And so um, here it is. She has. Uh, a short time to renounce Chris, her Christian belief so that she may save her life. And I think this is something that we really, 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 really must um, stand up and protest as believers. Because here, if she is 
murdered. If she is, if the judgment is carried out, she gets the lashings and she is hung. Um, she should be considered a martyr. She should be considered a martyr because of her not renouncing her faith to save her life. And that's what martyrs did. That's what Stephen did. That's what other martyrs in history did. They they were unwilling to renounce their faith to save their own life. Uh, and I think, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this later on, but I think this is something that black Christians particularly should rally behind because this is a black woman, a professional black woman, who is suffering persecution because of her faith. Now, if the black church ain't got nothing else to do, this is something we can do. This is something we need to get behind. And so I'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, we're definitely soliciting you to um, – there are a lot – you can go and you can just Google and you find out about various um, uh, human rights organizations across the world, international human rights organizations that are lobbying and coming to her defense. And I I solicit that you do the same. I have done uh, – I've signed an online petition um, trying to pro- – I've been trying to promote it, Facebook and things of that nature. Just bring and even now on the show by bringing it out, hopefully the voice will go forth, the cry will go go aloud, the cry will go forth, and the judgment will be stalled and null, brought to null. That's our prayer. That's our faith. That's what we should be working for. You know, having faith for this woman's life uh, instead of a new car. Instead of a new building, instead of a new house, instead of more money, this is what we should be, uh, I believe, this is what we should be uh, doing as believers. But hey, what do I know? Anyway, so uh, go learn as much as you can, do as much as you can on behalf of this young woman and her children um, because – it's a it's a very it's a it's a foreshadowing of what could come. Not here in the states anytime soon, but across Africa, uh, we're seeing it in Nigeria, we're seeing it in Kenya, we're seeing it in uh, in uh, still seeing it in both uh, countries of the Sudan. We're seeing it largely in the continent country of Africa, uh, in the continent of Africa. These countries that are. Uh, Adhering strongly to radical Islam, Islam and Sharia law, and the people are suffering for it. The Christians are suffering for it. In Egypt, uh, you know, during the Egyptian Spring and all of that nature, uh, Muslims were burning down Christian churches. They were killing Christians just because they were Christians. Uh, and this is why they. This was going on at the same time they were trying to oust, you know, the president and, you know, they had the spring, the Arab spring thing, you know. And it's going on in Syria and it's going on in uh, other many other countries, Muslim countries where Muslims, radical Muslims are really doing their best to um, be a dominant force politically, socially. And um, religiously, and at the cost, at the expense of Christians, and we're not doing it. You know, we're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. We should be doing more. We can do more, and we should do more. Uh, 
so uh, in your time of prayer, in your time where you're just surfing the web, do something to help. Do something to help. Be a positive voice. Be a positive force, particularly for uh, Dr. Ibrahim and her children. We, she doesn't need to die. She shouldn't be. Uh, she shouldn't die, especially in this time. But uh, again, you know, if she converts, they'll reduce her sentence. <laughs> Won't get rid of it, but they'll reduce it. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. All right, uh, one more story, and um, I found this personally interesting, and this is regarding a pastor, a young pastor, and it didn't make the news, but it's another indication of where we are as a church. Um, Congregates of North Carolina's popular Westminster Presbyterian Church was shocked to learn that the pastor uh, and his wife are getting divorced. And they're getting divorced because he has been unfaithful to her. And it's a shock because he has only been the pastor of this thriving megachurch for nine months. You heard me. Nine months... uh, uh, the Reverend Reggie Weaver has been pastor of the Westminster Presbyterian Church in North Carolina. It is a thriving interracial uh, church, and it is a uh, uh, membership of 2,000 plus, give or take. And uh, Reverend Weaver is a young man. He's just in his 30s. Uh, I, I don't know the exact age. I think it's early 30s, 33, 34, somewhere in there. And he has only been the pastor of this church for nine months. However, in the time that he has been the pastor, uh, he sent out a letter to the membership stating that then most of the time that he had been pastor there, he had been involved in a uh, an adulterous relationship outside of his marriage. Why is this shocking? Uh, well, why is this shocking? It's shocking. To the congregation because, one, it's a short tenure to be caught up in adultery. It's a short tenure to be caught up in adultery. It's shocking to his former parish because the former parish that he was at in Chicago, uh, although they had a large building, they didn't have a lot of people. They they liked my congregation, uh, relatively senior citizens, older members, you know, in their uh, upper 50s and on. And, and um, you know, he was young there and did a long I think he was there four or five years served them well uh, but here he gets to promoted to this place and I don't know what happened uh, it's a shock it's a shock to some uh, that he actually confessed to it uh, and that in spite of in spite of it they are instead of trying to reconcile they are choosing to divorce uh, that's the interesting thing about this story. I think this is the most fact. Uh, you don't see the wife standing by her man. Now, in other stories, think about uh, Eddie Long, Bishop Eddie Long. Uh, Bishop Eddie Long's wife stood by her man throughout the accusations. However, after the judgment was 
settled for $25 million. She filed for divorce. Then she took the VAT, you know, she took back, and then she filed again. And I have no idea what's going on. I think they are they never really divorced, but they did separate. But, but you know, uh, she stood by her man. And think about all the other cases. Think about the case of um, Pastor Ted Haggard. Uh, his wife stood by him. And when, you know, when he was discovered having this relationship with this male, uh, I don't know if it was a prostitute or whatever, but she stood by a man. What makes this interesting to me, and you all can come in on this to a night, you have a young black professional couple, uh, according to the story that I wrote, the wife, she was uh, pretty much a successful uh, uh, lady. She traveled a lot. Did business a lot uh, and um, whatever. So you have this young professional cu- couple, and he's a you know Dane clergy. Um, and here, instead of seeking to reconcile each other, they have started the process for divorce. What does that say about young black love? I'm, and it scares me because I I I've, I've been through where he is. I uh, I had an emotional affair, not a physical one, but an emotional one. It was just as damaging. Uh, in my as a young pastor, I was in my twenties, and you know I didn't have a mega church, but it was a you know it was a small rural church, but the damage was pretty much the same, and of course my wife and I ended up divorcing also, uh, not nine months after you know, uh, not because of it, but you know it took some time. We didn't divorce right after you know, but it took some time. So it calls to the question, the idea that they had been married. You know, they've been married for some time now. Uh, and so it calls the question if this was this behavior was uh, was a regular pattern of behavior for him and she couldn't stand it anymore. Uh, or, you know, she's just young and ambitious and figures she can cut the cord and get on with her life. Uh, you know, I don't know. But I know, you know. 20, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have seen it. As a matter of fact, I know in my own personal experience, you wouldn't have seen it. I know a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors who have gotten caught doing a lot of things, and their wives stood by them. And, you know, they may have suffered a, a small moments of embarrassment and shame, but for the most part, they st- stuck by their man. And, you know, but... Uh, all we can do is, of course, pray for both the uh, Reverend Weaver and his wife, and hope that um, hope some things can can uh, work out for. And the second thing, you know, I know that he can recover. He's young enough to recover from this. This is not going to hurt his ministry. You know, it may stall it for a moment. Um, and I, uh, by the he, by him being a part of the uh, uh, Presbyterian Church of USA, uh, and there, you know, there. Pretty much a uh, progressive, liberal, somewhat liberal denomination. They're becoming more liberal, liberal and more progressive and more affirming and all of that. Uh, uh, but it's just interesting how they will react. Uh, the story didn't say how the board deal, how the elder board will have, uh, deal with it. it. Didn't say whether. He has stepped down. I, I, I didn't read that. Maybe he did, uh, but he did admit to it in the letter, and I got to applaud him for that, being honest and open and not trying to hide it. Um, 
And I think it, it's going to work out for him, for both of them. I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to work out for both of them. I wish that they could have sought reconciliation in some 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 manner before uh, getting divorced. Because, I mean, to me, uh, the way the world is going is all but, in, in some ways, I hate to say this, but it's it's seeming as if infidelity is the norm now. Is more acceptable. In fact, especially in the black church, we're more uh, accepting of our pastor's infidelity than any other thing. Now, when they start taking money, we kick them out, but they can sleep with whoever they want to while they're married, and we'll still celebrate them. I think about uh, Frank Ray, I think that's his name, in Memphis, <laughs> and the, the, the current wife and ex-wife or mistress and whatever, they got the fighting in the church over him, and he put the wife out of his mansion, and uh, he's still, you know, highly lauded as a preacher. He celebrated as a preacher. He's still getting, it ain't stopped his preaching game one bit. It ain't stopped people from coming to his church. And, you know, even though this has been highly publicized, hasn't stopped it. You know, and that's, and that's how it is in a lot of churches. There are other, um, the, 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 Soon to be presiding prelate of the Full Gospel Baptist Church, uh, I think Joseph is his name. I can't. I, I don't know. Um, Joseph Walker. I may be mistaken, but he's out in Nashville. Uh, the allegations were similar to him. Uh, uh, similar allegations came, and yet uh, Paul Morton thought it. You know, he didn't look into the obligations, or thought they were not enough. Or sufficient to hinder him being selected as a uh, presiding prelate. So you know, it, it it is what it is. But pray for the couple and pray for them that they can get on this. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to be talking into our subject, get into our topic topic today. You know, accountability, authority, deception, uh, drawing from Paul's uh, defensive narrative in Second Corinthians nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. So. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Don't turn us off or tune us out. We're here. We're ready. Take care. Be right back. money do you need to make each month? That's the first question we'll ask when you decide to start your own home business through IncomeAtHome.com. As a success coach, I'm here to guide people like Karen who need to earn serious money from home. We were living payday to payday and with four teenagers at home, we were worried. By the third month, I was banking more than $2,600. After only 18 months, I was consistently earning more than $7,000 a month. Now, it's a six figure income and I'm paying cash for college for four kids. We found our way out of rat race. Listen, this isn't selling soap or energy water to your friends. This is a real business bringing potential customers to your computer so you can earn money 24-7. Incomeathome.com is affiliated with a multi-billion dollar company and carries a triple A rating. So how much money do you need to earn each month from home? Visit IncomeAtHome.com right now for your chance to win $1,000. 
Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. Well, you know, Father's Day is almost here, just a few weeks away. And, you know, instead of getting dad the, the regular tie, how about you go visit Red Envelope and check out some of the good deals that they have for dad? How about looking at getting dad, you know, he might like cufflinks. Well, you know what? How about getting him some sports cufflinks? It's baseball season. It's almost basketball season. It's almost football season. I mean, look into the getting him that. You may he might like that. There's some other perfect gifts for for dad. How about getting him a watch, uh, a, a watch box made from wood, or uh, a leather travel case for some of his uh, delicacies. You know, some good shades, some eyeglasses, any kind of things. You know, desktop. All kinds of things you can think of. You'll find it on redenvelope.com. Some of the best deals and prices today. And look, even if you go there, you can get 20% off some of your orders if you go today and find some great stuff. And then guess what? You can even add the personal touch. So instead of going to Walmart, Target, any other place to get that another tie or shirt, go to redenvelope.com and get, dot com and get some of the best specials and deals for your dad he appreciate you. It's Father's Day. You know, do good for him. It was the best day. It was the best day. We make a great pair. Great pair. Huh? Progressive. And the great outdoors. We make a great pair. Right, totally. Uh, that's what I was thinking. All kinds of vehicles, all kinds of savings. Multi-policy discounts from Progressive. Call or click today. Welcome back to Zero Today again. I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and um, I'm glad to be here again. I'm glad that you guys are tuning in. Um, uh, just before the break, I, I talked about the young pastor, and, and I, I feel bad for him, but uh, drawing from that, we're getting into our main discussion that we're going to talk about today, and that is accountability, authority, and deception, particularly coming from a question uh, that I, I I drafted from I thought Paul wrote in Second Corinthians eleven uh, and eighteen, and what he wrote, and I, I'm gonna read it so I so I can get it right. But in Second Corinthians eleven and verse eighteen and verse nineteen, uh, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. Verse nineteen: For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish. 
gladly. <laughs> and and my question is, are we that cra- are we have we got that wise, so wise that we're tolerating the foolish gladly? And 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 by foolish, yeah, there 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 are a number of things we could we could uh, that falls under that umbrella. Um, I I mean, it could be the 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 self help life coach preachers. You know, that's that's what that was a fad. I don't, I don't know if it's still a fad, but a lot of preachers. Uh, jumped on that bandwagon. I think about Paula White, uh, Juanita Bynum, all these other preachers. They were they were putting themselves into this. They gave themselves this title, life coach. And I um I actually, let me uh, I actually almost signed up for a life coaching class to get certified to be a, a life coach, Christian life coach. Then I uh, I I was like, what's what's what is a life coach? Um, the scripture really isn't so much about getting your life right as it is about getting your soul right. And, you know, once your soul is, is in order, usually that, that, that soul is ram. You know, your mind, what we consider the mind, the will, the emotions, as some have defined it, I think it's a little broader than that existentially. That's me. Um, it's a little broader than that. But uh, that's what scripture is designed for. It's not designed for us to get uh, accumulation of you know our self identity and awareness so much and and uh, esteem so that we can brag about it. And, and Paul kind of alludes to this in this in this is defense. What I call his defense narrative from chapter Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine, chapter ten, chapter eleven, and chapter twelve. I call it his defense narrative because he's basically um he he's basically defending himself against uh a community of believers who were uh taking him forsaking, you know, forsaking him, you know, taking him for granted who were who were saying and, and he he said in his letter, You're saying I'm I'm really not as you know, bad as I am or, or I'm I'm not really worth it because you know, I'm not I'm not around you, and you're saying I'm meaner in my letters than I am in my present in the, when I'm in present with you, uh, and you'd rather have somebody, and, and if you read this, you'll find it. Paul says you'd rather have somebody take advantage of you, and you esteem them, you put them up, you you know you uh, uh, you venerate them, than you have somebody like me who is. You know, instead, I abase myself instead of, you know, trying to make myself grand. You know, I, 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 I humbled myself after the man of Christ, and you're choosing to reject me to accept this. And for you to be as wise as you are, you're accepting this foolishness with, foolishness with excitement. And I think that's what we are as a church. You know, for us to be as learned as we are today. And I'm speaking particularly from the black church perspective. Uh, from the black church perspective, for us to be as learned as we are, we have more pastors now who have trained uh, educationally, both secularly and uh, theologically, to not have so much foolishness going on in the church. Think about all the folk who carry the title doctor 
in front of their names, <laughs> whether they buy it online, like from schools like Friends International, that's where Price, Fred Price, uh, Ivy Hiller, T.D. Jakes, all them cats, that's where they quote-unquote got their degree from. And if you go to Friends Christian International, uh, International Christian University, Friends International Christian University, you'll see it's a degree meal. You don't do nothing. Pay money. Uh, there are several other schools like that. I mean, I almost went to one, so I could talk. <laughs> there are plenty of these schools where uh, folk just pay the money and uh, they're conferred doctor and you know, to the average individual when someone starts calling themselves doctor, it implies some type of authority, you know. So they get treated with such in 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 my in my uh, faith communion, which is African Methodism. Uh, we have a lot of reverend doctors, and most of most of them are really, you know, reverend doctors. They earned reverend doctors, not honorary. <laughs> it, it's not something honorary. It's something that they have earned, and, you know, it, that's the badge of prestige. And, and I have an honorary doctorate. I, I don't even care for it because, you know, it's, it's worthless to me. But technically, I could be reverend doctor. But that's the badge of honor to be Reverend Doctor in our in our communion in our Zion, and 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 it's worth it because you know first of all the law says that you you have to in order to be ordained itinerant elder in our church you have to have a master's divinity from an accredited uh, school in order to be a bishop in our church you have to have an accredited degree from uh, a degree from an accredited. Uh, uh, Association of Theological Schools, ATS schools. So, you know, we take it serious. But for us to be as learned as we are, particularly in the black church, we're tolerating so much foolishness. So much. It's it's just, it's laughable to me. The foolishness that we put up with, uh, the inaccountability, the overarching, overreaching authority, and just the deception, the outright plain deception that we allow uh, in the black church experience, uh, the black church community, uh, however you want to put it. And, and, and I know it's collectively, uh, it is, and particularly in American uh, Western Christianity, it's a plague. It's an epidemic. But for some reason, we black folks, we just take it to the extreme. I don't know why that is. You can disagree with me if you want to. I'd be glad to hear if you do. But if you don't, oh, well, this is my show. <laughs> but if we were to be honest with ourselves, you know, we have gladly accepted the foolishness in spite of the fact that we are more learned than ever. Yes, I said learned. <laughs> Despite the fact that we are supposedly know better, to know better. And I was always, you know, I came up under the old phrase, if you know better, you do better. We have done better at, you know, gaining deception. We have done better at manipulating people as, as clergy, as pastors, prophets, apostles, whatever you want to call yourself, evangelists. Uh, we have done better at manipulating people than anything else. And I know a lot of people don't think this, that they uh, don't think that they are subject to this. 
a lot of clergy uh, don't think that they're a problem. If you ask them, they themselves are not, they don't have a problem with authority. They're sitting under somebody. Uh, or they are over someone. But the problem is, especially when it comes to accountability, um, if the guiding force of accountability is an individual, then there is a flaw because the individual himself, herself, is flawed. Um, that does not mean, in, in the case of individual uh, connectedness, connectivity, that does not mean that, that there cannot be uh, pockets of people give, being accountable for their actions. Because there are. There are. But, and it's more, for example, you know, my, my communion, my faith communion is considered mainline denominational. You know, we have a hierarchy. We have all of that. So we have a book of discipline that provides the guidelines, the law for clergy, all clergy, uh, ordained clergy, non-ordained lay clergy, the guidelines for that. However, in a lot of these newfangled fellowships, associations, uh, you, you know, whatever they're calling themselves. Uh, there is not that. Maybe not right out. They they may develop it eventually, but most of the time it's just based on the covenant. You know, you support my ministry and I'll cover you. And that, that's basically how it is. And there's no uh, accountability. And then there are those that overreach their authority in, that, in situations like that. I was reading about a pastor um, and I'm not going to say a day, but uh, she um, basically all but had was so manipulative of members that she literally uh, prayed one member to death. Uh, she had taken out a policy on a member and was so uh, abusive toward this member, spiritually abusive toward this member, tormenting her that it caused the member to commit suicide. And, of course, once the member committed suicide, because that lady had, the pastor had taken out a policy on the member, she collected. And, yeah, she's, she's in jail now. She, she is in jail. But it's just the fact that things like that happen throughout the, uh, the centuries that the church has existed. What do we do about it? I, I, there isn't a lot that we can do. But what we can do should be done. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, we need to be aware. First of all, we need to be aware that um, the church has fallen to the folly of this current generation. And I'm like Paul. I find myself like Paul did on the defense. Paul was having to defend himself to the very community of believers that he helped establish. He was having to, to uh, quote-unquote, boast foolishly about himself and, and be candidly, candid regarding himself as a way of establishing his authority within that community. And he did it through letters, but, uh, you know, he's like, he, he, he says this, and I really, like in chapter 11, said, he says that I didn't, you know, I, I didn't, I actually did wrong, and I need to I need to ask you for forgive me for not being crazy, you know, 
you like folks taking advantage of you. And I came not with my hand out, but my hand giving. You know, I came serving. I came a base for you because I love you. I, and I, I, I like what he says, you know, I love you with a godly, a, I, I have a jealousy with, of you, with a godly jealousy. And, you know, I, and that, that word can mean zeal, you know, burning, a burning, uh, a burning love, a burning passion for you because you know you like my babies and i wanted my babies to grow up right you know and every parent wants their child to grow up right no parent wants their child deformed or dysfunctional but it happens you know no family you know and and, and piggybacking on the story of pastor weaver and his wife uh no church wants to see their pastoral leadership dysfunctional we don't and, and that's why we, you know, in the black church in particular, you know, we do our best to conceal the dysfunction of the pastoral leadership team and their family. We we try to hold back on it. And and the pastors, we eventually give in to it. Instead of trying to be authentically transparent, well, we know we start to learn what we can get away with. We start to learn what we can do and the people would tolerate, won't upset them so much. And we continue on in those patterns of behavior till corruption sets in. And once corruption sets in, everybody gets mad. Nobody knows what to do. And things, ministry gets stalled. People get frustrated. And then you, the, the worst that could happen is that people leave the church feeling as if they were never believers at all. Feeling as if their conversion experience was, was one that was fraudulent feeling as though they were betrayed by their leadership, their pastoral leadership, the church leadership, their own spiritual leadership because they were being fed lies and deception. That's a lot. But it goes on more frequently than we would care to admit. And why do we let it go on? Because, again, it means that we have to admit that we are flawed. It means that we have to admit as pastors, we have to admit that we, we you know, we, we'd rather not be accountable. We'd rather not be accountable than actually be accountable. I, I, I talked about, you know, when I was a young preacher, um, I made a very big mistake. As a young pastor, uh, getting involved in a uh, a relationship that should have damaged, you know, really, really, uh, it, it was it wasn't bad, but it was bad enough. Uh, and I had to learn. And I had a member. I had a member. She came. She's a mother of the church. And even though in AME we don't have mothers, but she, you know, she's one of the older members of the church. Recognized. Uh, the inappropriate relationship pulled me to the side and said, Pastor, you know we love you, but we know what's going on with you and your wife, and we also know about this other relationship. And I want you to know that if you don't get, if you, if you know, if it doesn't end or stop, somebody gonna get hurt, and it won't be the other party. <laughs> you catch my drift. That moment of intervention, courage for her to come to me as her pastor, to come to me 
and tell me about myself. Just like Nathan went to David and told him about himself. And David eventually repented, and we get the lovely 51st Psalm from that. Uh, at least, you know, we, we draw uh, a, a same sense of his repentance from that psalm. Uh, and to this day, I can call her up for anything. And I, I still love her. She's still a wonderful. I called her uh, called her up just, I wasn't, no, it wasn't Mother's Day. Uh, I've forgotten what it was. Uh, I just called her, and we had a wonderful conversation. And she does not bring that up, but she still lets me know. She still lets me know that accountability to my membership is important. And, and I have the greatest respect for her. Because of her, I have learned to be more transparent. Now, I don't tell my folks my business, but they are, they, you know, I let them see me as I am, flaws and all. And if they judge me for that, then that's on them. You know, uh, if they don't, that's on them. Either way, the burden is off me. That does not mean I live any way and get away with it. No, 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 no. That does not mean that at all, and, and I'm not implying that at all. What I am implying is that my pastoral authority, my pastoral authority rests in my accountability, first to God, second to myself, and thirdly to those who I serve as pastor. I'm going to say it again. My authority as pastor Rest in my my accountability, my willing to be accountable first to God, second to myself. I don't need to operate in self-deception, uh, making myself more than what I am, which a lot of people do. Uh, and, and thirdly, to those I serve as pastor. If I cannot be honest with myself, if I cannot be honest with God, there is no way in heaven or on earth that I can be honest with the people. Which means that I will be more tempted to walk in deception, and simple deception, not big, grand, crafty deception that some preachers pull out. We, you know, we have we 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 have that. We 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 see enough of the grand deception. You know, we know that there are a lot of sheep in wolves. Clo- I mean, wolves in sheep's clothing. <laughs> sheep in wolves' clothing. I, there might be some sheep in wolves' clothing. <laughs> But we know that there are a lot of wolves and sheep. We know that there are hirelings. As Jesus said, you have the, the good shepherd and you have the hireling. The good shepherd knows the sheep and sheep know his voice and the strangers, they won't follow. But the hireling doesn't really care. We know that there are those out there in the church, in leadership, who don't give a... I'm limiting. They don't care. And they pull deception. They lead by deception. Accountability is a cuss word to them because the only one they feel they have to be accountable to is themselves, and that's not – it's not an authentic accountability because in so many ways they can get away with what they want to get away with it because of who they are. And I believe – and my premise – I'll go back to the premise that I had – that we've become as a collective church, particularly the black church because I'm going to speak from that, uh, that, um, from that perspective – that we've gotten so wise that we gladly accept the foolish. Why do we do it? It's easier to do. And when you read through Paul's letter, in the latter part of 11 and early part of 12, as a matter of fact, all of 12, Paul 
Starsh's uh, secondary defense and his tertiary defense. Secondary defense is a natural one based on his natural order, Hebrew, and the things that he had experienced externally for the sake of ministry. And then the tertiary experience goes to where he is taken into the third heaven and sees things he should not see. And so that he wouldn't boast on that, uh, he's afflicted by the devil with a thorn in the flesh. And a thorn in the flesh, he, you know, it's so bothersome to him. He petitions the Lord three times and thrice is denied and received the words that we like to hear all the time. It says, uh, my grace is sufficient when you're weak. I'm strong, your strength made perfect in weakness. I know I didn't quote that correctly, but you Bible scholars know, you know what I'm saying. And then he comes up back in the latter part of chapter 12. He comes back and begins to say that, uh, particularly, I, I, I want to say it's around verse, yeah, verse 12 and 13. Having defended himself, he said, you, you folk have gotten so foolish that you're accepting anything. And he says, the sign of a true apostle. The sign of a true apostle is uh, when it's performed among you, you should recognize it. It should be the signs, the wonders, and the miracles, not the, you know, exploitative words or events or, uh, uh, you know, that they do. Paul said, I didn't come to you with convincing words and all this, you know, all that fancy stuff. I came in demonstration of the power. It's not that he couldn't, because if you read Paul's letter to the Romans, it's probably one of the best uh, philosophical arguments in in Scripture. And of course, his uh, when his his dialogue on Mars Hill in, in Acts chapter seventeen, where he dialogue, you know, he meets with the Epicureans and uh, the Stoics and all those folks. And so it's not that he could not have done so, but in First Corinthians, he came. He he says he came in demonstration of the power of the Spirit because it was all about the Spirit. It wasn't about Paul the man. It wasn't about. And however, they had become declusive in that sense. They had become disbanded and disjointed where they were going by that way. But Paul was like, "Look, uh, I'm here to unite you, and I'm here to do it by way of the Spirit, not by my own might." And there are those who are pocketing you. They're causing you to be. Pocket Christians, uh, debased in what is true, driven away from the simplicity of the gospel, and driven and enticed into the foolishness that you see today. And I think we're in the same boat right now. And I take it as my responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth, uh, as Paul writes in in his letter to Timothy. how do I go about doing that? The first goes back to the first thing, accountability. If I'm accountable to those I serve, I'm transparent. I'm transparent to God, transparent to myself, I'm transparent to my those I serve. Then I, you will see the authority of God released. And the authority of God released can be released in various means, signs, wonders, healings. I, and it, when those things occur, the people believed and they're encouraged and they, you know, they get the they get the tenacity, they get the zeal to go out and do more. That's all the apostles did when they when Jesus sent them out uh, two by two, and they came back, particularly with the seventy, and they came back and saying, "Lord, everything you told us, you know, you said we could do, we did it." And people were amazed by it. And he said, "Well, you shouldn't be. You know, I saw Satan fall." 
uh, and I've given you this authority, so you should respect it and operate it because I've given it to you. Uh, I said all that because I'm running out of time, and this I wish I had more time to just engage, engage this a little bit more. Because I really, do, I really wanted to get into this, uh, how this affects the experiencing self and the remembering self regarding church. Uh, and, and I put it this way. If pastors, pastors had the kind of accountability that I'm presenting forth here, uh, their remembering self would be more productive and fruitful. So forth that so much so that the remembering self will always bring up memories that pro- propel and project a ministry that is engaging to the people and fruitful to the work of Christ, instead of bringing up memories and memorable experiences that cause them to uh, halfway do the work. I hope I made a little sense. I'm not trying to get too deep, but but it is what it is. Look, um, man, I just about ran out of time. Um, I I I, I do want to take away one thing from. Want you to take away one thing from this. You know, uh, when you go back and you read that, read those chapters that I, I presented here in this in this narrative. Um, of course, the whole book of Second Corinthians can be considered a narrative defense by Paul. Uh, because he says we are your workmen, we you know we are your letters of commendation. You are our letters of commendation. And then in chapter five, he speaks of the reconciliation between God and man, and that we should be ambassadors of Christ. And and, and getting into the argument for giving and supporting the ministry in chapter eight and chapter nine, uh, but nine, ten, eleven, and twelve particularly, and rounding out chapter thirteen with his greetings and salutations and. Uh, and whatnot. Uh, in essence, Paul puts forth the challenge uh, for believers to really examine themselves. Puts forth the challenge for uh, believers to be made complete. Puts forth the challenge for believers to uh, be comforted. To have a like mind in peace, and 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 have God's peace be with them, God's grace and peace be with them, and that's what I hope we take away from this show. I hope that it challenges us as clergy, as, as those of us who are in, in in ministry in any capacity, pastoral ministry, apostolic ministry, whatever it may be. Uh, that we challenge ourselves to be accountable so that we don't try to use up authority over Christ and over others, but we submit to the authority of Christ and we fight against the deception. Just as Paul said, you know, I, I believe some of you are like Eve, you know, who was deceived by the, the serpent. I hope that I hope that is what we can do. And I hope that's what we get a chance to do. But uh, I've run out of time, so i got to go. And again... Um, uh, won't be on the air next week. It'll be my birthday next week. Uh, so enjoy Memorial Day. Enjoy this weekend. Pray for one for another. Have a great day. This is Pastor Bill. I'm out. God bless you.